this is chapter 3, book of Acts. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they'd laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk! Exclamation point. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Verse 11, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them into the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one. And ask for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. The faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said... The Lord God will raise you up for a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. It shall be that every soul who does not listen to the prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and from those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, again we thank you for this place we find ourselves. Would you see fit to bless us as you have in the past, to do it again, to unfold to us the truth of your word in our understanding and to give us what's necessary to be obedient to it. Lord, use this your day, and would you use our obedience 
to gather in this way as a means for making us useful to the kingdom so that others may know the name of Christ. We ask all this in your strong name. Amen. Well, let me give you a snapshot of where we're headed into Advent. That's a month away. We'll spend today here in chapter 3, and then we'll slow down in chapter 4 for three weeks as we uh, watch what shakes out of what has begun here in chapter 3 that we just read. If you move through these chapters, 3 into 4, it goes something like this. A miracle takes place. That's the crippled man who couldn't walk from birth. He's walking. Because of the miracle, a stir is caused. People are astounded. They gather. And because of this stir, a sermon is delivered. And because this sermon is delivered, there are those in the crowd that are offended at what is said. So the sermon causes an offense. And then at this offense... A warning is given to these men not to speak or preach in the name of Jesus again. And it was as a result of the official's warning, more preaching happens. And with greater boldness by the end of chapter 4. And that's where we'll take our break for Christmas. But to think a miracle goes to a crowd, to a sermon, gospel. Some believe, some don't. Some say don't do it anymore. But God gives them boldness to continue to do it. It's a snapshot of how the rest of the book will continue to cycle as we go through its chapters. So we'll start where Luke did with the miracle. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. That's different than we've read through the Gospels. Usually when you see Peter and John, there's also Andrew and also James. But this is the first time except for the run to the tomb in John's Gospel. Peter and John, usually you wouldn't expect to be together, and certainly not often. It might happen from time to time. And that's because they're polar opposites as far as their, their makeup, their personality, their, their person, that is. Uh, one thinks before he does. The other does before he thinks. One is a mystic. The other is a motivator. Uh, they couldn't be more opposite. But now that they have the Holy Spirit, they're virtually inseparable. And their strengths and weaknesses, if you want to look at it that way, offset one another such that you've got more together than you do apart. Now, what they're doing is making their way to the temple. We talked about that last week. Though these Christians have confessed Jesus as their Messiah, they still go to the temple. Peter and John, together, on their way, a man lame from birth who was carried, laid there daily, at a place called the Beautiful Gate, asking of alms. Beggar was positioned at this gate called Beautiful. That might be your translation. Maybe Beautiful Gate in some translations, but it's basically the same thing. This is probably the Nicanor Gate. This was a gate that would have separated the court of the Gentiles from the court of the women, and then further up would be the court of men. But this is where that famous sign was written in different languages. No one but Jews passed this point on pain of death. Basically, stay out. Until, of course, Jesus dies on the cross, the veil is rent, 
And then this gospel that is being told in Jerusalem will go to Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the world. The Lord is doing different things, and he's ahead of most of them. They'll come around in time, but all that has changed. This man's handicap was congenital. Luke tells us this was from birth. He'd never walked, had no strength in his legs, no sense of balance, no muscle memory. He was a stranger to all those things, though he himself was not a stranger to those who passed by. He'd been carried to that location daily. It'd become somewhat of a fixture of the place because everyone seems to know him. And because almsgiving was meritorious, it was in the Jewish religious traditions that this was to be done to check a box you needed to do this then in this situation they actually had people looking for beggars in order to give in order to be generous to the poor so for him to choose this strategic location takes advantage of all the foot traffic heading right into the temple where they're reminded of how good they're supposed to be so as such the location provided a beautiful arrangement that was good for everyone they needed to give and he needed to receive that's why he's positioned right at that spot now seeing peter and john about to go into the temple he asks and then peter directs his gaze at him john does too peter says look at us The man fixes his attention on them with the expectation of receiving something. Just like that was a weird doll, that's a weird thing. It usually doesn't go that way. Now, I know that almsgiving was something that needed to be done, and and it worked for everyone. This situation might be different. But what do you typically do when you see someone at an intersection at the stoplight with a cardboard sign? You look anywhere but at him. Some of you are going, well, I don't. Most of you just went, well, I'm normal. (laughs) That's the natural response. And if you had to explain it, say to your kids, why don't you ever look that man in the face? you'd realize real quickly that it's complicated. It's complicated because there's a lot of stuff that goes on in your brain. Like, maybe it's a scam. Maybe he's just fine and dandy. He just dresses that way, and it's probably good in this area. I don't know. You might have seen the 2020 episodes about how much they can make. Or maybe you think, well, if they don't have anything, there's a reason for it. And they probably deserve the situation they're in. It's for their own choosing. Or you might think, well, I deserve what's in my pocket because I, after all, work for it. But then at the same time, that reasonable thoughts going through your head might come up against things like things you know from Scripture, things that Jesus did. And the fact that on a very important level, spiritually speaking, we're all broke. And none of us deserve what we have. And if we've got anything at all, God gave us to it. God gave it to us rather than us scratching it up for ourselves. So, yeah, it's complicated. But Peter looks right at the man. The man looks right at him. And then he expects to get something. Because usually if the window rolls down, you make eye contact. 
Payday, right? But then of all things that said, we don't have any money. I don't know if the guy's shocked that it went that way at that point, but at what point does he go, oh, well, next. And I'm sure the traffic's moving. Uh, the streets aren't that big. But even though the way this unfolds is irregular, Peter said, I have no silver and gold. What I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And as Luke describes this, it seems the healing was instantaneous. He takes him by the hand, stands straight to his feet. So... If your imagination wants to paint this picture, there's a lot going on. There's more than what Luke says, and Luke's specific to distinguish between part of the foot that's the ankle and part of the foot that is the foot. Uh, He's a physician. But all that stuff that we have that we take for granted, strength in our legs, muscle memory, balance, he wouldn't have had that either. That comes as the total package here. So God uses this miracle not as something, hey, you'll you'll need therapy. I've restored the problem, but you don't have any strength. Same as when you hear things come up as far as the creation record, like, you know, if the sun burn out right now, it'd be about eight minutes before we would know it happened because the light takes about eight minutes at the speed of light to reach the earth with the distance between the earth and the sun. Same as the stars, but it takes like millions of years because they're so far away for the light to reach us. But when God hung those stars in the sky and the moon and the sun, he gave them the appearance of age. Same as Adam and Eve, when when they were created, they weren't babies. They probably didn't have belly buttons either. We'll find out whether or not they have them when we can ask them. Maybe Adam will show it off. I don't know. (laughs) But he creates this with the appearance of age. All that's necessary for us to perceive it as instantaneous is there at the spoken word. The same is true here. He gets up and he begins to leap and to cry and to praise the Lord. And, and this is where I actually came across some commentaries that, where critics say that the man's response is exaggerated and excessive. And I want to say, well, why don't you see if you can convince the man if you're happy to see him in heaven? That We know you haven't walked your whole life. But you're kind of a little bit embarrassing here in the temple, you know, with all this praising God and everything. No, it's totally appropriate. God gave us emotions, and we should have room in that emotional range to act in ways that others may think silly or foolish if you feel as though the Lord has changed your life. And he certainly had changed this man's life. So no one that day who was there would have shortly forgotten what they saw. And by the time you get a bit further down, while he clung to Peter and John, and he didn't need him for balance or to steady him. You know, I I had one to say, well, he was still wobbly, you know, like one of these baby deer you've ever seen jump up, try to stand, and they wobble around, or like a, a newborn giraffe that's even worse long spindly legs I don't think that's the case here I think the case here is that he doesn't want to let these men out of his sight all the people gathered around utterly astounded they're in Solomon's portico when Peter saw the crowd it he addressed the people 
Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? So the miracle is pretty straightforward. From here on, it's the message through the end of chapter 3. We'll concern ourselves with that. But notice Peter does the same thing he did with the previous message. He starts with correcting a misunderstanding, and then he gives them Jesus. But he gets the misunderstanding out of the way. Before, it was, no, 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 they're not drunk. Some of you are, are wondering. It's too early in the morning for that. And this is by prophecy. Joel talked about this. Spirits poured out. People prophesy. That's what's happening. In this case, stop looking at us as if we're the ones responsible for this miracle. That's not it at all. This comes through the power of Jesus Christ, again, reminding them that they're the ones guilty of his death. But having corrected the misunderstanding, he launches out into another gospel declaration of the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, there are three points to this. There could be more, I think, Three this morning will help us get our heads around it. I'll give them to you up front and then we'll, we'll do each. Number one, God wants you to understand your privilege. These were privileged people. These were God's chosen people. They had those prophets. They should have known better. Number two, God wants you to understand your ignorance. They knew the prophets. Their whole head was full of the dots, but they haven't put them together yet. Peter actually mentions their ignorance. So he wants them to understand it. And then finally, because of privilege and ignorance, God wants you to repent and receive salvation through his Son. He wants you to repent and receive salvation through his Son. So let's look at number one. God wants you to understand your privilege. Verse 13. Listen to this privilege. This is their, their background their pedigree, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant, Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. So his, his opening remark, his, his, his first point right out of the gate is you are people of the covenant. God has been working with you since he tapped Abram on the shoulder and told him to leave Ur. He continued working through you, through Moses and the prophets and the kings. All the stories we learn in Sunday school. This was their very rich past. They should have known the voice of God. They should have known the Son of God. But they killed him instead, and that's the point that Peter is getting to very quickly. God's chosen people, the apple of his eye, not just their history, but their very survival was an epic tale of God's great power. From crossing the Red Sea on dry ground, to fire on a mountain, water from a rock, manna from the sky, enemies defeated, giants slain, and a promised land filled with milk and honey, and that's just the beginning. Now fast forward through centuries, and then centuries worth of silence, You've got this man named John who introduces the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. And then about three years after that, Peter knows that these people had not missed the darkened sky one Friday, the earth shaking, dead people walking around. That's when he says, God glorified his son Jesus. You were all there and you knew it. 
That was no normal crucifixion. Three days later, he was alive. So that's their privilege. Not only do they have the credentials of God's chosen people back to Abraham, but they actually had the Son of God living in their midst, teaching, doing miracles, signs, and wonders. Now that was then. And uh, as we go through these points, we'll try the shoe on ourselves. What about our privilege? Does God want us to know our privilege? I don't know that we have any Jewish folks in our, our company this morning. Most of us, if not all, are Gentiles. How about we just skip over our nation's heritage, having been founded on Judeo-Christian principles and ethics? We all know that. We're familiar with it. What if we just skip to the current generation, the resources we have at our disposal? Churches on every corner, at least in the South. 24-hour access to the best preachers and teachers, not just ones who are alive, but ones who are gone. I, I, I listen to messages going up and down the road in preparation for this from a guy who's no longer with us. And it's just there on an app for my phone, free. You just pull it up, listen to it. Um, books, studies, sermons, podcasts. Let's tighten the lens a little further. What about Wake Chapel? 165 years of preaching, serving, soul winning. Now, I hear tell that there were times when this church had to share a preacher. And some weeks it was the Sunday school who held everything together while they took turns. But for the longest time, there's been at least two meals a week here, Sunday morning and Wednesday evening. And for the most part, we have a very faithful congregation. There are some that leave those meals to spoil. But for most, they're here. Learning, listening, seeing, believing. It's a fantastic privilege What have we done with it, though? Are, are we in the same boat that these people are in? Because he really turns up the heat in just a few more lines when he's speaking of their killing their own Messiah. Now, their Messiah, as they saw it, but our Lord, as we understand it, we'd like to say our situation is different than theirs, but on paper, in our Bibles, we're all equally under the curse of sin. And equally in need of a Savior. Whether you saw the Messiah coming. Or you've heard about the Messiah coming 2,000 years ago. So let's go to point number two. God wants you to understand your ignorance. They were privileged. We're privileged. We should know better. They should have known better. Let's talk about the ignorance that was theirs. Find out if the ignorance is ours. Verse 17. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance as did also your rulers. Now, that almost sounds un-Peter, doesn't it? Like, what happened? It's two sermons, and he's already capitulating. You killed him, and you're guilty, but wait a minute. You did it in ignorance? Does that mean you're off the hook? Doesn't mean they're off the hook. But he wants them to know that even though they should have known, and they don't or didn't, they still have a chance for forgiveness. Um, 
If you go back and, and were to highlight this, I'll just read it off to you in a list. These are the names that Peter used to refer to Jesus in just this sermon. Suffering servant, ascended Lord, holy and righteous one, author of life, appointed Christ, a prophet like Moses, the promised seed of Abraham. All of those are taken from passages in the Old Testament. Few in the New Peter's still using that, that is this pattern. You remember that from last week? All of that prophecy is this Messiah. And we talk about this in gospel presentations, that the one who created the whole world in six days is the one who died for the world in order to repair what was broken with one act of disobedience and a tree that shouldn't have been eaten from. So we've got to be able to connect the dots here and the idea of this ignorance here, uh, the, the Catholic Church, uh, in some of their writings, their approach to theology, there's something interesting having to do with the way they describe ignorance. There's actually two types of it. And uh, although I wasn't familiar with this in theological training I had, it seems to make sense. You can try it on, see if it fits. But they describe the difference between vincible versus invincible ignorance. That one is defensible, couldn't help it. You couldn't know if you wanted to know. And the other is indefensible. Yeah, you didn't know, but you could have known. It's more like you didn't want to know. More like the ignorance is bliss type thinking. And uh, this pastor I referred to is not with us anymore, was using this method to describe illustrate such an idea he said suppose I was driving my car out of state ran a red light and was ticketed and said uh, this isn't fair I didn't know I don't live in this state how am I supposed to know that you're supposed to stop at a red light now would that work no because everybody knows who ever went through driver's ed that you stop at red you go at green and everybody knows it you might plead ignorance. I didn't know better. I don't live in this state. But it, it's, that's not defensible. You're going to get the ticket. You're going to pay the ticket. Lawyers won't even worry about that. Um, unless you want to go down the reason of insanity, which is not what we're talking about here. But suppose one of these little speed trap towns. You like speed trap towns? There's one of them in Florida on the way to Word of Life that caught my mom and dad after they dropped us off. And when the officer pulled them over, they were both crying because they dropped off their son and daughter at the same time, and they were still tore up about it. Or they were happy. I don't know <laughs> which it was, but the officer was alarmed. Is everything okay? Like, no, we just dropped off our kids. He said, okay, glad that's all right. License and registration, please. And ticketed, I think the town is Stark, I think is what it's called, but it's a speed trap. Let's suppose that there's some little speed trap town off a highway where everybody's used to going fast, and then you have to go slow, and they sit behind bushes and rocks and catch you. Let's just decide that they, in a clandestine meeting at night, decided to switch the green light and the red light so that if you go on green, you get a ticket. If you stop on red, you get a ticket. They're going to get rich, and they won't tell anybody 
because it wouldn't work if they did. Now, if you get a ticket there, you can plead ignorance. And it'll probably stand because there's no way you could know about something that was done in secret that nobody has ever done before. Now, which is this? The things the prophets foretold. Is that defensible ignorance? No. Did they go to the trouble to connect the dots? No. That would have gotten the way of certain things that they liked the way they were. And sometimes the same is true with the people that we work with, go to school with, or even go to church with. Certain parts of this scripture they don't care to know. It's not that they don't know it. It's just not something that they think is important. That ignorance will not save you in eternity, especially if your ignorance is in the basic mechanics of what it is to repent and believe. So your ignorance is sin. But in this case, Peter is saying that sin of ignorance is forgivable. Forgivable ignorance. So if you're in a state of ignorance and you know it, what do you do? You repent and you turn back and you learn what you didn't know. Kind of the same way with the first message. They understood at least two things when their hearts were cut. One, that what he was saying about Jesus was true. The other, what he was saying about them was true. Their hearts were cut and they believed. So point number three... After understanding your privilege, you should know some things. And understanding your ignorance, there's some things you don't. God wants you to repent and receive salvation through his son. Look at verse 19. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. So the sins, the ignorance is sin. Sin separates us from God. But that can be blotted out. The times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive. He's in heaven now until the time for restoring all the things. Restoration is one of the best words if you want to picture in your mind what salvation accomplishes for you. You sinned against God, which alienated your relationship. And it's a double alienation because he can't have anything to do with sin and you can't be righteous. So neither one of you can approach the other. But through what his son did by dying a sinless death, being himself God, he can bring the two of you together after canceling out the sin between. It's an amazing arrangement. It's amazing grace. It's what it is. And maybe you need to think about something Aren't you glad that on the end of a pencil is attached something called an eraser? I'm left-handed, which means my penmanship is not the best for a number of reasons, one of which I kind of wipe over what I write after I've written it. Those of you that are left-handed know this. A pencil does this too, but ink can't be fixed the pencil you can kind of brush it up some of you may have cards that I write in pencil and sign in a pen that's why 
because I like to be able to have it like I wanted it rather than messed up and corrected in permanent correction to alert you of the fact that I messed it up. Isn't it a wonder to think that the record of our sins against us on some eternal ledger is blotted out by the eraser of Christ's perfect blood such that they're gone, absorbed, paid for. Ever have somebody pay for your meal and you didn't know who did it? Every now and then on Sunday, it, would, it might happen. We know this. But you, you always assume it was this, or this person, this person. One time at the beach had the, our little family at a restaurant. Nobody knows us down there. Got ready to pay. It's been paid for. By who? They told me not to tell. Do I know them? I didn't know them. I don't know you. <laughs> but it floored us, didn't it? We didn't know what to do with it. That, it's, it's grace is what it is. You don't know why you got it. You couldn't pay them back. You don't know who they are. In this case, we know who Jesus is. But to think of it that way, an eraser. But here's the catch. If there's a catch in the gospel, here's the catch. We can imagine God erasing every sin off our account, including our sins of ignorance. But it's not automatic. It hinges on your repentance. You're turning back. Not until you repent are your sins blotted out. You should have known, but you didn't know. So repent and turn back. You'll be forgiven completely. But that's the most unpopular part about the gospel. We don't want to preach that. We, we don't want to tell a bunch of people that this is the only thing uh, that, that amounts to an authority over your life. You, you don't have what it takes to run your own life because you're not your own. Uh, God made you. He has plans for your life. Go all the way back to when he created you, and you have to live in submission to that. And that's when people go, well, I like the Sunday school, and kids are happy to be in Awana, but I, I just, I got stuff to do that uh, I want to do. It doesn't work that way. Here's Peter's closing illustration. He had a zinger of an opener. It's even better for a closer. Look at verse 22. Moses said, they know who Moses is. We know who Moses is. The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me. Prophet like who? Prophet like Moses, an intermediary. That's who Moses was. He went up on the mountain, came down with God's word. He was the go-between. He will give you a prophet like me from your brothers, and you shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. It shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. So Moses said, God is going to send you a prophet, a mediator, and you need to listen to him. Kind of brings to your mind something else that took place that not only a handful of disciples knew about and they kept it quiet for a while. But one night in the garden... Christ was transfigured. It's a mysterious type of a description as to what happened, but it seemed that 
certain part of whatever covered his glory was pulled away enough for them to see what no one had ever seen before. And who was with him? Elijah and Moses. And then there was a voice from heaven, from the voice of God. And what did he say? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. So forget about the past and any ignorance or any quiz you may have failed regarding the Old Testament or the New. And start today by listening to Jesus. Start reading the Gospels. Start with John if you don't know which to pick. Listen to what he says. Listen to what he tells Nicodemus about being born again. Listen to what he tells these guys as he says, follow me. Listen to these guys that he tells, hey, if you think that just being around me is going to be where it's at, that's it. I don't have anything. Listen to him when he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh to the Father but by me. Listen to how he told a guy if he believes he'll be with him in paradise that day when he's gone. Listen to him because the one who doesn't listen to that prophet will be destroyed. People talk about the unpardonable sin sometimes. What is that? And how these people who cursed Jesus, Holy Spirit, God, it's kind of hard to nail down, but I, I think you've got a reasonable case theologically that after Jesus was dead, buried, raised, and the Holy Spirit is given, once that Holy Spirit has convinced you of the truth of who Jesus is, there's your crossroads. There's where ignorance no longer works. That's where you accept him as your savior and do not delay. You don't know how much time you have. All of that's a presumption on the future. Once it is clear to you from the pages of scripture, through those who share or preach or you read it for yourself, Listen to it and be saved. Let's bow in prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for your word through the mouth of Peter. Thank you for a miracle that causes a stir, which causes a sermon. Lord, we're going to read about how this sermon causes some conflict with people who are not listening. But Lord, we ask for what we'll see given at the end of chapter 4. More boldness to continue proclaiming the truth of Jesus. Lord, as we watch your word go out in this book and your word bring people into the church, may you give us enough of your word to hand to someone else and watch it continue. That this church would grow as those are being added to the church, those that are being saved. We thank you for this service today. We thank you for singing. We thank you for a means to send a shoebox with gifts and the answer to life's most important question all over the world. May we be faithful. May we be obedient. May we be generous. May we be useful. We ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.